Hello and welcome to Friendly Anarchism. This is Catherine and I am here with a good friend of mine. I'm so excited that you're in town. This is Chandra. You want to introduce yourself and your title and the whole deal? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Chandra Page. I'm currently an organizer with Our Revolution, which is the successor organization to the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, and it's wonderful to be back in Oregon. I'm so happy to see you. And it's funny, um, I guess I was thinking about it, we've actually only known each other for like a year, a little bit over a year, but wow, it's been, it's been a year, right? Like, <laughs> it's been quite a long time. It really has. This is, this has been a life-changing year for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, and it's interesting to see what sort of different directions people have gone in. Like, obviously, you have decided to stay in sort of electoral politics, and I decided to go out of electoral politics into the sphere of more direct action-y things. Absolutely. I mean, of course, we hope to eventually broaden out to have more direct action involved in what we're doing, but uh, electoral is kind of what um, we created. It was the infrastructure that was created around the Bernie Sanders campaign, and so that's what we know we're already good at doing. Right. <laughs> but, you know, as, as things grow, we're, we're definitely hoping to broaden out. Yeah, people talk about the inside-outside strategy, so it would make those connections between inside and outside. Um, sort of interesting things and like I you know as an anarchist I feel like working in electoral sphere is like much less you have fewer gains for your returns you know like you as much energy as you put in you're going to get less out of it than if you're working not in electoral politics as opposed to like directly on the ground um but the reason that I'm still cool I'm not I've, I've had a few requests from people who are doing electoral stuff to be on this show and I've turned them down but you're a special <laughs> special oh well, um one thing about, um, well, first of all, um, our revolution is, uh, it's just like part of my past where I met you. So it's interesting thing to talk about. And also our revolution is specifically also, um, nonpartisan and also yes. you work at the local level yes. almost entirely, right? Do you do? I mean, we do work on a few bigger races, but where we're really seeing successes um, is at the local level. Um, and a, a large part of that is because people um, are running on platforms that are similar to Bernie Sanders' campaign. Um, and at a, at a higher level, at a congressional, at a gubernatorial level, um, there's a, a much firmer... Um, I don't know, I guess, system in place that has been going on for a very long time. It has to do with funding. It has to do with party politics and who right. they support. Right. Um, so at the higher level, there is a lot more contention and a lot, um, a lot, there are a lot of issues that you have to overcome. Whereas at the local level, when you just strip away the parties, you go in for these nonpartisan offices, offices and all that really matters are the issues then people tend to agree yeah. on what they're looking for. Um, and so we're seeing that a lot. We've, we have endorsed a number of nonpartisan candidates or third-party candidates who've been having a, a surprising amount of success. That's great. So the, then the anarchist analysis is that the more power you get, the more corrupt you are. Yep. And so basically, <laughs> once you get above a local level, it starts getting like kind of honestly useless because the people that you're appealing to have no investment in the system in the lives of the people on the ground and in that local level right so 
I think at this point, asking Ron Wyden for anything is never going to get you anywhere. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. I mean, I, I definitely think there's something to that because, um, you know, the higher level you're at, the more money you have to ask for. Um, I've seen statistics about how once someone gets into those higher level offices, about half of their time is spent fundraising. Um, so they're no longer talking to their constituents. They don't have time to talk to their constituents. So how do they know what they're actually needing or wanting? Um, who they're hearing from are the people who give them money or the people they want to give them money. Yeah. Um, so that's... it it's just sort of baked into the system. Even if someone wants to remain separate from that sort of corrupt system, it's that's how it works if they want to fund another campaign. Yeah. So we're trying to break that a little bit, like um, supporting more progressive candidates, even at those higher levels, even if it looks like they're a long shot, <laughs> because um, they, they don't have that material support. They're the ones who are willing to... Um, to only collect small donations rather than to go for the big money and to spend time with their constituents. And um, we're not um, seeing a, a huge uh, win rate yet, but we're seeing that there is a definite swing in that direction. Um, for example, in places like Kansas, where someone ran for Congress on a very progressive ticket, had no party support, um, he, he managed to get, I think, within single digits, whereas Trump won that state by over, like, almost 30%, I think. I, I don't have the exact numbers in my mind right now, but um, mm. people are willing to hear that message. Um, it's just how do you get that message out there without the, the major donations and, you know, the corrupting influence yeah. of money in politics. So in anarchism, I believe in what's called a diversity of tactics, mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be used as um, kind of code for believing in also smashing windows and those sort of things, <laughs> but it also goes the other direction for me and for a lot of other anarchists too, where it's like, well, you might as well also vote, yes. because it doesn't, if it's easy and it helps in any way, why not? It's, you know, yep. then you have to, you can spend less time putting out fires, yeah. basically, um, but that... So having, you know, having these, having sympathetic, at least local officials is helpful, exactly. especially <laughs> sort of like when, you know, it's, you, we have to sort of, we are having to kind of like contend with sort of salvage operations and making sure that people right now are getting everything that they can get through the existing systems as well. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I definitely understand that that viewpoint. I mean, I come at this, I wasn't involved in electoral politics until Bernie. <laughs> Before that, I definitely had more of the, the activist side of things. I would join with um, various fossil fuel resistance uh, movements. I was there when we blocked the... Um, the oil rig from going to the Arctic um, up in Portland, the, all the kayaktivists there, that was fantastic. So I definitely know how effective direct action can be. Um, but, but like you say, you know, if you have a few, uh, a friend, few friendly people on the inside, it definitely doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. I, that brings me to, yeah, you have done direct action. You're, <laughs> I, like, one of the things, I really, really admire some of the really awesome things you did. Oh, and actually, um, I was witness 
at least close witness to <laughs> an action that you took that was key, very, very key moment in exposing the corruption of the Democratic Party in this country, which was at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. We were both there. We went there together. You were part of the Oregon Bernie contingent that left and mm-hmm. occupied the media tent to make sure that the, the images and the information got out to the entire world about what was going on to people in the Bernie movement and in the Bernie campaign and within the corruption of the Democratic Party. We can talk about that a little bit. Can you go through, like, what exactly happened? Sure. Um, So we went to the convention with the... uh, We now understand the mistaken belief that the convention would run according to its rules, um, which means that you can do things uh, that, that the... The delegates are there for a reason, essentially, which is to um, vote on things like party platform, to vote on um, the just how the party is going to run. Um, and so we thought, okay, we burning out forty six percent of the. Um, elected delegates. We may not be able to get the person we want in, but hopefully we can affect some positive change while we're there. Once we got there, we realized that that really wasn't the case. It was essentially political theater. Um, No matter how many times we tried to call for a division of the House, no no matter how many times we tried to, um, to just reach the people who are up on stage to be able to try to um, say, hey, we want some amendments to this platform, whatever it might be. Uh, the whole place was decked out in no TPP and healthcare for all signs um, so that they couldn't ignore us visually as well as audibly. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, and we were just being completely ignored. So by the end of the second day after the roll call vote and... I will admit there was a lot of emotion for those of us who worked on the Bernie campaign as we were hearing the roll call vote. Oh, yeah. Because (laughs) we had watched, um, we had been involved state after state after state and fought so hard for every single delegate. So to see so many of the states that we knew Bernie had won going to his opponent was frustrating because a lot of us felt that it was... uh, showing that democracy is not very democratic, essentially. Yeah. Um, So by the end of that roll call vote and a very emotional moment from Larry Sanders, (laughs) um, I think we had all pretty much had enough. Um, There were some people who had already planned to walk out, but a lot of us uh, who hadn't even been involved in that inner core of planning um, spontaneously left at the same time. So um, I was vaguely aware of the plans, but didn't know too many details, um, which is why I was one of the few who you see walking out of Oregon without the, the black gag on, but I improvised. <laughs> Did you have tape? I, I had a Rainbow Bernie bumper sticker. Oh, I really? Okay. I dug through my bag and improvised. So. I, was, I was so proud of Ryan. Yes. Like, he was a real, like, straight-laced, straight-laced, Absolutely. upstanding guy, and he... He and I, um, after we occupied the media tent, and I thought the the occupation went incredibly well, um, most people agreed to silence. Um, The few people who did speak um, were handling the media beautifully. I heard uh, many times them saying things like, um, you know, 
the media would come up to them and say, does this mean you're voting for Trump now? Or whatever it might be. And they would say, no, you're, you're framing that whole scenario wrong. And so people were uh, just throwing the media narrative back in their faces, which was, it was amazing to see. I love how, um, how well educated <laughs> everyone was before mm -hmm. that event. So we occupied uh, that uh, tent for quite some time. And then as we were leaving, um, I was carrying a uh, BS 2016 banner double meaning there um, <laughs> <laughs> and um ryan helped me hold the other side and we uh, essentially got stuck behind some people who were conducting interviews um so we thought well this is a good backdrop let's just sort of stay here we were communicating non-verbally about it um and this whole crowd of media just forms a semicircle around us. We ended up standing there for hours. He told me afterward that he had never been involved in a protest before. Oh, man. <laughs> so, He's so great. So I was really proud of him for, like, sticking with it. Because that was an, a very, um, it was a very intense moment, really, yeah, to I be mean, a part of. And he was, like, in his nice shirt and, like, yes. jacket and, like, suit and like glasses and he had the black mask on mm -hmm. and like international media like, yes. that was that was amazing that was i told him he became the poster child for the revolution yeah <laughs> for that for that moment for, for that, that moment, moment. <laughs> it included it included a face mask yes <laughs> yes it did <laughs> the black gags we all felt like we had been silenced in this yeah. election i'm sorry one second Okay, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Commercial break. Commercial break. <laughs> Professional studio there we environment. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The revolution will not be funded. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of planning that went into that, though. There I mean, was. It was part of making the banners, and there were, they were mm -hmm. really well thought out. You know, we, they chose that blue and that yellow because they knew that those colors would pop on yes. media. And that certain other colors could be, like, messed with in a, or yes. something. And you were there. Um, it's so, it was so interesting. I was in the hotel um, watching the television of the the feed of the Democratic National Convention in the Wells Fargo <laughs> Center, and it's, like, super clean and nice and, like, little clappy-clappy and all of these things at the same time as being on the WhatsApp with people inside <laughs> yes. the Wells Fargo setting. Yes, so I'm like, exactly. what a shit show yes. it was on the inside. And it was just such an interesting moment for me just, like, to be there and just see so viscerally and so, like, just how corrupt the whole system was yes. at that moment. I mean, they were turning the lights off on you. They were, like, mm -hmm. we could hear it because I remember, you, like, you're saying, oh, we're chanting, we're chanting no war, mm -hmm. right? And I could hear it because I knew it was happening, the sound guy adjusting the levels in the feed of the for the TV, like, you could hear it go up, and then, like, you'd hear your chanting just a little bit that I knew you were doing, and then the level would drop again. <laughs> it was, like, wow! Like, political theater. Absolutely. That's sure. crazy. An interesting little footnote to that No More War chant. That No More War chant was started by a veteran, um, Valdez Bravo, from Oregon. He was the, the Bernie Whip for our caucus. Um, really, really fantastic person. Um, he has since 
uh, run for both Portland Community College School Board and for vice chair of the Oregon Dems and won both. So we're, yeah, we're seeing some really amazing progressive people who are getting into places like that. Um, So it... It was interesting, too, to call for him. Of course, there were a few people who uh, knew about the convention and mm-hmm. were upset about the walkout, but the vast majority were absolutely thrilled with what had happened there. Well, the images of the banners that we had made and of the lights going out and all that stuff, that was also suppressed in the media. Yes. You know, like, all of that was going on. Most people didn't have any idea, and it's like, but but I noticed when I was there, and I was on the outside, too, there was definitely inter- was a lot of international press. I was on the protests on yes. the outside. Yes. Lots of international press, and I'd check the American media and see nothing. Like, whoa! Like, this is, this, <laughs> like, this, it, was, it was really, it was really an interesting moment of understanding better, for me personally, the sort of, like, repression of media influence. Yes. You know, and that's something that anarchists have a really tough time with, is that we're really, really marginalized. And, and demonized. And demonized and kept, kept mm-hmm. out of media entirely and, like, misrepresented yes. just on the regular. Yes. You know what I mean? Because it's not, it's not the narrative that people want to keep the system standing the way that it is. Yes. You know what I mean? So to see other kind of, like, just sort of who were <laughs> before we were all radicalized <laughs> by this experience, I mean... Um, I was an anarchist before this, but I went into the Bernie thing and then uh, with, well, with a lot of other people, a lot of like students, a lot of people who are new to politics and all these things who have now become <laughs> radicalized through that experience Absolutely. because part of it was part of exposing both to us and to the people that we knew, just the depth of the corruption and the, um, how the media was working with um, the capitalists and working with the Democratic Party. Yes. Um, so, Yeah. That was another thing that was uh, more than a little bit frustrating for us uh, at the DNC is that I noticed this on the first night because a um, a delegate sitting next to me, a Clinton delegate, uh, left early and a younger man came and sat in the seat. Um, I was trying to be helpful and so I asked him, um, you know, are you from another state's delegation? Maybe I can help you find where they are because it, it was vast and it was hard to find where you were supposed to be sitting. And um, he told me no and which corporation he was with and that he had helped fund the campaign. And he said the campaign as if there were only one. Um, And I heard uh, that after we participated in the walkout, our seats were very rapidly filled um, also with donors. So it was quite indicative of... um, just uh, who gets priority seating, let's say, <laughs> among the party. Yeah, I mean, and they did, the Democ- the DNC did a great job of making the entire thing inaccessible just through cost. Like the Bernie, yes. all the Bernie delegates were just scraping the barrel to try yes, and get we were. there. And then also the way that they had it set up is that we were forced to stay in mm-hmm. certain hotels for certain rates. Yes. And so then, like, you had to cough up 250 bucks a night for a week yes to be a delegate and like that's not all funded it's like this is supposedly a democracy but in order to participate in the do- democracy is completely pay to play you know and some of and like they even assigned which states got which hotels and some of those hotels in downtown philly people were paying 600 dollars a night yes you know and this is like poor people this is yes. like this is like the bernie people were definitely much poorer overall than the hillary people so I mean, Absolutely. just that's a suppression of the voice already right there through money. 
And you th- if you think about it historically, that's the way the party has always operated. Because in order to go to these sorts of conventions, what do you have to be? You have to be moneyed enough that you can take that kind of time off. Um, back in the day, before modern transportation, you had to be have a horse, at the very least, to be able to go to a convention, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to think back and think that this is so entrenched. It's something that's been the case for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's the system has built and continued to build on itself in order to create stronger and stronger uh, these hierarchical authoritarian power structures so that this kind of thing just continually worsens to the point where we're at now where we have actually <laughs> devolved into authoritarianism. <laughs> like, that's where we're at, and it's sort of like... It was just an interesting moment for a lot of us at the convention to just start to see that happen. Yes. A lot of us were much less surprised when Trump won. Like, yes. there were, like, people on the Hillary side and general liberals were just, like, super shocked. Like, how <laughs> yes. did this happen? How, what is going on? And, like, we... We're just like, well, you're corrupt. You were corrupt this whole time. We've been watching you just beat down Bernie and his supporters for the last year. Yes. And, like, you can't, you're not going to get away with that. Like, and you know what I mean? Like, that's, it wasn't even, like, I did end up, I did end up voting for Hillary. And I know a lot of anarchists Mm -hmm. did. Like, a lot of anarchists don't vote. But I would say, overall, if you're talking about rates of voting anarchists tend to be more politically involved and i would i would guess that anarchists overall actually would vote more than the general public public would and um if anybody understands the importance of keeping a fascist out of office it's anti-fascist <laughs> yes. right i mean like right. noam chomsky is like you should vote for hillary so it's like well i'm gonna i'll do what noam chomsky wants me to do like yeah, <laughs> that's <absolutely>. fine <laughs> so but the but even then it's like well we knew right then that that was not that was not feasible. I went to the socialist convergence and like the, it was so angry. Like it was just so, so mad. I saw, you know, I saw Jill Stein a couple of times and like there's the fervor, the level of fervor on the outside and then the level of the fervor on the inside. That was an intense week. (laughs) That was like a really, really, really intense week. Like, absolutely. I mean, it felt like a turning point in history. Yes. You know, it's crazy that we were there. Yes, absolutely. I I felt that the whole time I was there, is that this is a moment in history. And even with as stressful and, in a sense, as tragic as it was, because a lot of us knew as soon as Bernie lost the nomination, we knew Trump was going to win. Yeah, we did. Like you say. Yeah, it's, yeah. And so, you know, there were many of us there, and, you know, people are going, why are you so upset? Like, we're going to have the first woman president. (laughs) No, we're not. No, we're not. (laughs) No, we're not. I was was sitting at the... (laughs) Um, I was in the, it wasn't run by Black Lives Matter, but it was a, a protest for black lives. Yes. And um, after that, I'm sitting at the bar with some activists and we're like, so Trump's president now, huh? And they're like, yep. <laughs> like, yes. So I guess I'm going to start um, researching how to take down authoritarian governments. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, or how that works or how you survive under authoritarianism. I guess that's our research now. And I know that a lot of the Bernie people um, moved to working on local and state races at that point Mm -hmm. because the Hillary campaign was already feeling like a sinking ship and especially already at the at that moment um it became clear how corrupt the system was Mm -hmm. that either Hillary's deal was going to get together or they weren't and they're like they're 
they just there wasn't a lot like they could try and shame and coerce us into working under the on the Hillary campaign to make sure she won it's like you know what I'm gonna work on measure 97 right now because like that is something that really (laughs) needs our help and um if you've been telling us for a year that you don't want us around then I guess we're gonna not be around and they ended up alienating a huge core group of activists um, from the Bernie campaign, who generally, who would be the people, a lot of the people I know were mm-hmm. core people in running the Obama campaign. Yes. That were working on the Bernie campaign and then and then ditched on Hillary. Yes. You know what I mean? So, like, that, yeah, I mean, at that point, too, for me, it was like, this, it was, it, for me, it's like, this is clearly a waste of my time to be working in electoral politics in general. <laughs> because the, the the where we're at now, I saw it's like where we're at now with like the level of the situation that we're entering into, mm-hmm. like we need to be doing stuff much more intensely and much more drastically and much more directly starting like now because with a Trump presidency coming in, things could go downhill really quickly, which is what we're seeing. Yes. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. And I see a lot of people doing the same thing. So I do want to, th- you know. We thank Bernie for radicalizing a bunch of people. <laughs> like, yes. And so I've seen, I've seen a lot of um, people that were not politically engaged, yes. became Bernie supporters, either sort of stayed in politics that way, but also I've seen a number of people go from Democrat to Dem Socialist to Socialist to Anarchist. Yes. <laughs> There's a whole new um, group of sort of baby anarchists that came out of the Bernie campaign, <laughs> and, like, that's that's pretty exciting, too. And so um, that means that that does mean that there's a connection here yeah. also. So it's like, I don't want to lose a connection with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I feel like my thing is, like, it's all hands on deck. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, the exactly. diversity of tactics thing, I take that very seriously. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So... Um, I guess that what brings me up to the next thing is, like, if it's creating these connections across different cultural lines and across different tactical, um, methods, um, how do we get our two, like, we are talking because we're friends. Yeah. Generally, you're not going to get a lot of anarchists and anybody working in any sort of electoral (laughs) realms together. Um, that might not be totally true because, again, like... We understand the importance of, like, yes. local, like, local politics. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, but how do we get, at this point, though, how do we get anti-fascists at the table when we see, like, what we're really doing is there's a huge rise in authoritarianism and in actual yes. fascism and white terrorism, and there are people that know how to deal with that, and it's just, com- it's completely different, it's just a different realm of the world than the sort of normal politics that more comfortable America is used to. Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's like, there, but there's still, there's still a lot of, there's a lot of resistance, a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, difficulty in, like, getting tactics to work together without stepping on each other's toes. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah. um, anger and fear right now and, yes. like, kind of, like, frustration with each other. And it's, I feel like, you know, what are you thinking about this? I mean, have you? Have, I feel like you probably haven't talked to any anarchists <laughs> other than me, right? Um, maybe one or two, but again, friends. So it hasn't been deep political discussions. I would definitely, like you say, I think that all of these, like you say, it's all hands on deck. 
yeah. essentially, right now. And I think we're starting to see that. I think that people are starting to cross organizational lines. They're, they're treating it more like um, all of these issues matter at the same time. Uh, which they didn't before, which I think is one really great thing about the Bernie campaign is it brought together people from the environmental movement and the, you know, the anti-fascist movement and the healthcare movement and the union movement and all these people who had different areas of focus mm -hmm. um, all came together to work on this campaign. And so they made those connections. Yeah, cross-pollinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because his platform was so broad. Yeah. Um, it, it brought so many different people together. But um, I think that we need to maintain those connections. Um, I see a lot of drift right now after now that the campaign's ended, but we need to be organizing now more than ever. And I think people feel that. They just don't know where to concentrate their energy. So having that experience, having that um, wisdom from people who have been through this before, who have been fighting fascism before, um, or have whatever kind of experience they can lend to it, um, having them being able to help people focus um, I think would be really helpful right now. The, so the question, yeah, so then the question is, where are anarchists at as far as um, how people outside of the sphere see them? I know I'm around liberals, more like the older Hillary-type liberals. Obviously, anarchists are all... Terrorists, <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. like I actually heard after before the No Pass Iran rally on Sunday. Did you hear about that in Portland? Mm -hmm. um, okay, there was a group of white supremacists who decided to come into town and throw a quote unquote free speech rally, which of course was complete bullshit. It was a uh, let's spread horrible, hateful language and take over downtown space and try and normalize fascism rally. <laughs> Oh. Um, but they were met, they were met by protesters. Yes. And, um, shoot, <laughs> lost my train of thought. What was I? Just essentially the perception. Oh, the of... perception. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So then I, in the, so that morning I had been to the Quaker meeting and I heard somebody over say, I overheard somebody say like, oh, I'm more worried about those anarchists. And it's like, how, okay, so like, how are people more worried about people fighting fascism than actual genocidal fascists? Yes. But that is the, that's the narrative right now in sort of liberal land. Yes. But you're kind of in between liberal land and like direct action progressive land. Yep. So what's the, how is, how, what is the anarchist image as far as people that you're around on a daily basis that are maybe younger and like more attuned with like sort of the how the where the situation is right now. I think as soon as you strip away the very charged label of anarchist, people say tend to be, if not on the same page, they understand that viewpoint, um, especially among the younger, more progressive crowd. Um, I I know that when I'm working on like our uh, transform the party uh, work, I, we get a lot of people going, oh, the parties are just corrupt. We should just ditch the whole system. And I was like, <laughs> okay, what you're talking about is like, but as soon as you name it, then people back off. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the name's got some PR problems. Exactly, exactly. And so <laughs> as, as soon as you detach the ideas from the name, then people seem to be 
um, very much in the same space because they know that our current system isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that there has to be an alternative. And since that the burning campaign, the, the alternative that they seem to be envisioning is um, something like Noam Chomsky describes, a sort of um, socialistic anarchy. <laughs> so um but again they're they're afraid of the word they're afraid of the label because when you hear about anarchists on the news it's people smashing windows and it's people in black masks and people get worried about that kind of tactic Mm -hmm. um but when it comes down to the principles they they tend to uh, at least be receptive to them yeah i agree i've seen that too and people there's a lot of other words people use sort of like localism or communalism right. or, um, you know, um, I hear a lot of anarchic ideas around, Yes, you know, but then it's divorced from anarchists, Yes, which is really interesting because it's like, if anybody knows how to do anarchism, it's actually anarchists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, how do we, that's the thing though, is if people, I feel like a lot of people are trying to reinvent the wheel right now because there's yes. this like depth of anarchic praxis and theory already yes. about how to run these sort of direct democracy systems and these local systems and um, all of these things working in cooperation. Um, but people are trying to figure all that out on their own because of the <laughs> word. Yes. You know what I mean? And, you know, we saw a lot of that during the Sanders campaign. People were terrified of the word socialism, but he, he moved that Overton window. He changed the discussion, um, shifted it so that socialism is not the bad word that it was three years ago. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I mean, I remember tabling for Bernie and getting people on a college campus calling me a communist, but (laughs) they said it like it was a bad thing. Um, (laughs) They call call us commies too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I see the shirt that says commie hunter and it's like, dude, not a commie. (laughs) Get your leftist straight. Right, I had to make a distinction for them of, okay, come sit down and I'll tell you what socialism is. (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's the same thing there that there was so much media hype for so long um the the whole red scare and that terrified a generation and that generation is still the one that has the most resistance um so but as soon as you um take away that that label or at the very least you know you demystify it you take the fear away from it you explain this is what it means yeah um he Bernie outlined that perfectly in his platform. This is what it means. This is it means you know educating people. It means giving them health care. It means <laughs> and people could look at that and say, oh well, socialism doesn't sound so bad then, does it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So like anarchism is like, really scary, but what it is right. is it's self defense. It's community defense. It's like keeping. It's space defense. It's like keeping Nazis um, out of society. And making sure that they know that they're not allowed and that they're not making sure that those ideas, those hateful ideas, don't become normalized. Right. Which is what which is what's happening and it's something that anarchists have been fighting for a really long time and have been st- already seeing the rise in authoritarianism and being paying very close attention to it for a decade or more at this point. Um, but couldn't get, weren't being listened to because of this marginalization and because of all of the stigma around... Um, the fear of anarchy, which is chaos, which is not true, <laughs> right? Because you know, anarchy is 
no rulers, not no rules. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And a lot of people don't even know that distinction. No. No, so absolutely not. So it's, it's a matter of public education, as it is with many things. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see... I'd just like to see more anarchists around in general. <laughs> working, working alongside people like you, because I feel like... Um, and for me, too, learning... I've been learning a lot more about anarchism and a lot more about anti-fascist organizing and how anti-fascism works and what these tactics are. Mm-hmm. And I have not been on board at first. You know, it's very strictly nonviolent. And the more that I learn about it, it's more about... It actually is... It is interestingly nonviolent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It actually... You don't see anarchists going out and murdering large numbers of people. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing that... That's not true. Right. It's not happens. And, like, the last right. time any sort of, there was any large number of people that were maybe killed by anarchists was probably the Spanish Civil War. Right. <laughs> you know, like, this is not, you know what I mean, they say that the, um, any quote-unquote violence done by anarchists is just a, um, a weekend, a good weekend for the empire, basically, <laughs> is how that goes. You know, Republicans are in super violent, Democrats are violent, everybody, like, every, it, the idea that one demographic is supposed to, like, control the way that if you look at that it's like anarchists have done a pretty amazing job actually <laughs> yeah. of maintaining rank you know i mean not rank jeez maintaining order yeah and maintaining um revolutionary values that are about defending and about like making sure communities are mm, safe yes you know what I mean? Against people who are actual threats. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I feel like right now, a lot of liberals are out of their depth. Yes. Right now. You know yes. what I mean? Like, it's you can't really fight fascism electorally. Right. You know? Once it's already taken hold like this, you, you know, you can do the stuff on the local level, and you can do the making sure that people have what they need within the existing systems that they have, but the kind of the kind of depth of scary shit that's going on right now, people are out of their depth, mm-hmm. you know, and it's time for anti-fascism to come back on the table and listen and be like, I think that anti-fascists probably know more about fighting fascism than we do, <laughs> so what are they saying? Why, yeah. why do they do things the way that they do? Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think it's fair to say that they just don't know what they're doing and they're doing everything wrong. It's like, but... They, this is what this is what they do. Right. You know what I mean? So there, there must be something to it, right? right. So I think um, there's some interfacing problems. <laughs> I think there's some tactical difficulties of how things work together and how they don't work together. And there's definitely a lot of fear um, still. And, like, fear in general is a bad thing. We, like, we need to make sure that fear is not... Like, that we're all fighting fear at the same time. Yes. Um... But we're all trying to do that in different ways. Did you know that um, uh, Anifa had ice cream at the anti-fascist rally on Sunday? <laughs> yeah. <Nice. laughs> it was, yeah, it's fun. Um, so, yeah, and this is a rough sell, though. Like, selling yeah. anarchism to the population at large is tough. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... I, I think in that case, you have to start with the issues and start with the principles. Um, and then once people are comfortable with that, 
then you can apply the label. <laughs> mm. um, I, I noticed this uh, in a different context, in electoral politics, that it is so much harder to sell a candidate, because they always have some kind of party label, than it is to sell a ballot measure. If you tell people, like, this is what we want, uh, spell it out precisely, um, people will vote for it. It doesn't matter what their party is, if it's something that they feel would be beneficial. Um, whereas if, as soon as you throw in a party label there, and it could be a candidate who believes in all the things that you have in those ballot measures, <laughs> mm -hmm. but as soon as you throw a party label in there, you get resistance. Yeah. So people do react um, to, to labels, unfortunately. Yeah, it has to do with narratives. People mm -hmm. understand narratives. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I do actually see, I think that the anarchist revolution is well underway. There's people doing very, very anarchy things all over the place under lots of different labels. You know what I mean? So, like, I've been, yes. I've, I've had people ask me, actually, just for my own safety, like, why can't you do the work you do and just not call yourself an anarchist? Right. You know what I mean? So, but I've decided to take the label and own right. it because I've been an anarchist for a long time, you know, and even though I lapsed there for a while, <laughs> but I was, I was, and, um, it's a big part of my identity, and it's, uh, it's a, it, the, the label contains all of the theory, and what I'm seeing is when people don't have the core, like, the root of it, yes. then it's a lot harder to be, to get things done well, if you don't yes. understand the root of the problem, like, because anarchism, as opposed to just talking about, like, people talk about things as separate, you know, like you can talk about solidarity economies, you can talk about different sort of banking systems over here, and you can mm -hmm. talk about like, um, fighting authoritarian tendencies over here, you can talk about these things, but you, ha if you can put them together yes. into like a fully rounded theory, single theory, which is like anti-authoritarianism, which includes anti-capitalism, which yes. includes, you know what I mean, which includes direct democracy, which yes. includes local organizing, like all of these things, that's where the word, that's what that's what the word anarchism yes, is. So, like, exactly. I feel like... So, I decided to keep the label because mm -hmm. it's important to me and my identity. And it's also just because um, it'll go so much smoother when people can see <laughs> how all of these issues interconnect. Yes. And, like, all have sort of this root issue. You know what I mean? Mm hmm So... That's what I'm trying to do. Absolutely. I mean, just in the same way that, that Bernie brought the word socialism back into the mainstream. It yeah. takes people who have those principles and who are, are organizing around them in a really positive way yeah. um, for that, that label to finally regain public acceptance. And it happened pretty fast with Bernie. It the did. socialism thing. It people did. People got on board fairly quickly except for on the top when everyone was just like no one will vote for him he's a cop he's they everyone will think he's a cop it's like well actually the younger generation seem to like not really care as long as he's saying like i think you should have health care right <laughs> like i think right. you should not be dying all the time needlessly right everyone's like i'm on board i don't care what you call yourself <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't so exactly yeah <sighs> wow this yeah. is, again, this is, yeah, this is a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolutely. What about, um, I don't know. We, we have a lot to talk about, but I just got tired. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> as, the, as the host, I'm supposed to have, like, a list of questions ready, huh? 
I wouldn't know. I've never conducted an interview. <laughs> I assume so. <laughs> I will be. Um, what kind of direct action did you do before? Did you see results? The kayak, kayak yeah, activist? Yeah, the, the kayaktivism was incredible. That was really well organized. It was uh, uh, primarily 350.org um, who who organized that, but a lot of other groups as well, Rising Tide Portland and so on. Um, there was a shell oil rig going out to uh, drill in the Arctic, but there was a very narrow window of time in which they could go there. Um, so the longer we could delay them, the less likely it would be that they would drill. So we delayed them first in Portland, and then a group delayed them again in Seattle when they had to come in for repairs. Um, by that time, it was too risky and too expensive, and they ended up not going to the Arctic. So, yeah, that's, very cool. that's great. So, um, those kinds of direct actions, I think, uh, are incredibly effective if you can find, particularly where it hits their their bottom line. Um, if you can find ways to delay projects uh, to make them keep becoming increasingly expensive uh, and that was absolutely nonviolent, but it was it was very direct. Uh-huh. <laughs> there were literally people hanging from the bridge. Um, uh-huh. Which was, you were one of them, right? I was not hanging from the bridge. I was on top of the bridge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite that brave, nor do I have quite that good a bladder. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but, yeah, essentially, um, I've... I've participated in things like that before um i've i was also a union activist i was mm-hmm. a, a right. steward for seiu so i've been i've i've been uh, a non-evil lobbyist as i've explained it to my friends a few times <laughs> <laughs> going to try to advocate for more funding for health care and education things mm-hmm. like that um so that was that's kind of been my my first taste of uh, legislative politics is going in and lobbying them from the outside. Yeah, um, I have to say, good for you. I have <laughs> I have I have an easier time at protest than dealing with, like, I I tried for just a minute there after the Bernie Sanders campaign to <laughs> stay with the other Bernie people and to doing more electoral politics and like stayed a Democrat for a minute there. Um, and I just, like, got so mad. Like, I was, like, I'd go to, like, the little, the meetings and the conventions and stuff, and I could just, like, I was so mad. Like, I couldn't handle being around the kind of, that, that, those people. Yeah. You know? Like, I, so, you know, that's hard work. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, I, I definitely appreciate the people who turn up to those meetings every a few weeks as well. It's just incredible that they can they have that kind of stamina because you get a few different uh, types in in this sort of politics. You have the ones who um, really want to change and they have this positive vision for the future, and then you get the ones who have this really comfortable little position that's padding out their resume, and they um, get really upset by any change in the status yep. quo because any change in the status quo might upset their position. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Speaking about, um, we were just talking a little bit about delays, mm-hmm. and I think that is one of the main sort of important tactics in Absolutely. general across the board. Yeah, especially right now with the current administration, because they keep trying to push so much through mm-hmm. all at once, and you know, eventually this administration will be gone. <laughs> 
<laughs> the best thing that we can do right now, I think, is to delay in as many ways as possible. And then um, they also, like in these meetings, when they have these long meetings, they also delay. They delay mm-hmm. progress. And yes, then they do. I'm, you know, doing active shooter trainings. It's also always about speed bumps. It's about delaying the shooter until the situation can, you can get people out of the way, you can get, um, you can just, even 15 seconds can be the difference between life and death for some people. You can just, like, delay them. And that's actually something that anarchists do on the ground in these really dangerous situations is is create delays. You know, and that's what sort of the barricades are about. You know, you see when people pile things up and light them on fire and it's like very dramatic (laughs) but a lot of times what that is is it's actually causing it's one of those speed bumps it's a delay um so it's it's interesting you know that's what and union organizing stuff work stoppages yes and that kind of thing so this this element of time is something time and how it correlates to money because the longer a strike goes on, the more profits they're losing. The yeah. longer a pipeline is being blocked at its source, the the fewer investors who want to uh, yeah. continue to fund it. Yeah. Um, we saw that quite a bit with the Dakota Access Pipeline. I mean, it, it looked like we were on the verge of stopping that until the new administration mm-hmm. came in because the delays had been so effective. Well, and property damage is also money. You know, it has to be mentioned, you know. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that um, strategically and tactically, the more intense thing that you're doing, the more there's a likelihood of blowback. Yes. You know, so um, I'm not necessarily advocating for property damage right now, but theoretically, when you're talking about time and you're talking about money... You know what I mean? Yes. So, it's just uh, it's just an interesting... I'm still, you know, I, I am working through strategically what I think of these different types of tactic are actually effective. Right. And what... Because I think that if something... That some things can, in fact, make a situation much worse. Yes. So, especially when... We're dealing with a community that does not understand, is not on board. Yes. You know what I mean? So, like... Exactly. You always have to balance the what you're trying to accomplish with public opinion. Yeah. Because, you know, as soon as you start to turn the, the public away from what you're doing, as soon as you lose that sort of moral high ground, as it were, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes much more difficult to find... Uh, new people to volunteer, to find new resources, to be able to build a much larger community to to fight that fight together. So it is it is a challenge to be able to go just far enough <laughs> right. that, that you can stop whatever it is you're trying to stop, but at the same time not turn that community against you. Yeah, it's it's touchy. it's a a real question it's a difficult question yeah because we need we need community support from each other you know so um anarchists right now in basically every article i'm reading and like almost every statement that i'm reading from different anarchist groups are saying like we want to be part of community we need community we want to like we're here to help Yes. There's a huge problem. We know how to solve it, or yes. at least we have we have a better idea of how to solve it. 
Um, we want to, you know, we want to be on board. Yes. So that, I find that very encouraging. Yes. You know, um, so how do we do that? <laughs> it's just hard. It's a hard yeah. question. It you is. know, because there, there is in the more extreme tactical circles and tactical things there, it, it is scary and doing anything scary yep. under an authoritarian state makes yes. things worse. Yes. Like, the more scared people are, the more they shut down and pull in. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's, like, the idea, though, being of, like, empowerment against fascism also needs, like, a certain more level of empowerment also. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, more extreme on both ends. Yes. So, so it's... It's a lot of thinking strategically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of strategic conversations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And getting people on board beforehand, if at all possible. Yeah. Because so, it really does need to be hearts and minds. Yes. Before, yeah. If you, you know, changing, trying to force people to think differently by just doing stuff and then being, like, wanting them to have been on board. Right. Is, is coercive. <laughs> right. And so that's difficult. Um, the, the only, the other, you know, it seems like a lot of times electoral politics and electoral organizing can be coercive too. Like trying to get people to, I remember just like tr making people register to vote. You just yes. like, you get real, like you have to do it because of this, like you right. can be really coercive. And then those coercive methods don't work either way. They actually don't work either. You know, I remember in, in like electoral organizing, um, oftentimes you would, um, get a bunch of people signed up for something and you would expect a much smaller return on who you got to sign up to do something or whatever. And I think it's because if people felt coerced into signing a thing yes. or like whatever, then it doesn't work to try and coerce people into doing things. So then you end up having wasted a whole lot of time yes. on, on all of these and resources on this coercive method of trying to get people involved. Um, so like that's one way that electoral organizing is losing energy yes you know what i mean if people don't if people don't believe in the system they don't want to put time and energy into the system and trying to make them is coercive and then coercive tactics don't work <laughs> so it's it's sort of like this like you know what i mean have you have you seen more involvement on the local level are people getting excited yeah um what i find especially in that case is that um you have to treat it as providing information um mm -hmm. rather than trying to tell people to do something, um, definitely there is, you see diminishing returns when you say, oh, you need to volunteer, you need to donate, whatever it might be. Um, um, but if you just provide the information and uh, tell people, hey, this is what we're up against, these are the ways that you can plug in if you want to then you have a much more positive response mm. um, because people do want to do something, but they want to be given options and they want freedom not to do it. Mm, yep. Yep. Totally. <laughs> it's hard to, one of the, que the question of time is like, and the fr question of like freedom to do something, it's also like, but people are getting killed. Yes. When it, when it gets to the point where it's like people are getting murdered and inaction yes. is killing people. Like, it's hard to say, well, like, you could help or you couldn't help, right. like, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, sort of like, um, like, if right. you need to be, if you need, if we need people to be doing stuff, but then, but it, it sort of is 
But still, it still doesn't work to try and be coercive or, like, say, right. tell people, shame people into working stuff. It becomes this really difficult thing where it's, like, the situation is really dire and you have to, like, kind of, like, like still sort of, like, pander to people's yes. a little bit. It feels like, yes. you know, that's a difficult, that's difficult. Absolutely. And, and again, I think probably the tactic I've, <laughs> tactic <laughs> it's not really that but you know what i found works best <laughs> is to give people options mm-hmm. because as soon as they have a choice of uh allowing them to do whatever aspect of it that they want to do then they're far more likely to plug in there are usually um very benign reasons for them not getting involved um it could be that the times clash it could be that for example, with phone banking, people don't like talking on the phone. Um, it could be something really minor that they don't want to advertise. So if you give them more options of ways to get involved, then usually they will get involved. It's just a matter of finding what fits them. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's cool. And there, I mean, there are so many different aspects to organizing yes. that it should be like pretty easily feasible to have lots of different ways for people to plug in exactly it takes a lot of organizing (laughs) yes (laughs) you have to be very organized to organize (laughs) yeah yeah we yeah yeah but i mean there are a lot of people stepping up to do organizing work yes it's really, Absolutely. it's really encouraging. It is. Um, I, like I was saying at the meeting the other day, I feel like I have the, the best seat in the house because everyone else is seeing the Trump administration and all the, the horrors that they're doing, but I am looking at all of these people who are not going away, all of these people who became politically engaged, who became activists, and they are just so enthusiastic about what they're doing they have this vision for the future and they're not letting it go yeah i've noticed the same thing it's i've found i have found personally that sort of like sitting around and not doing anything is much more stressful than even even being (laughs) in a stressful situation like even in being in a stressful protest situation somehow it's like but you're there and you're doing something and it's meaningful you know so like in some way, I haven't been in the, like, super, super stressful <laughs> situations <laughs> that people find themselves in. Like, I did yeah. not get tear gassed, yeah. you know. But on the other hand, the people that I'm around and the people that I'm talking to, um, I can tell still that it's, like, when you have that, like, I don't know, kind of righteousness yes. about, like, what you're doing is that even the hard stuff doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't, yes. it does. you know what I mean? And so then if there's a way to sort of teach people that, be like, it's actually worse to try and not be involved. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that is that feels a lot worse. <laughs> Absolutely. I've I've heard a lot of the, the organizers around the campaign, um, they called it post-traumatic convention disorder. <laughs> 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 that as soon as they had nothing to focus on, um, they became extremely depressed because yeah. they could see where things were going. Um, and they could, felt like they had no recourse, no means of stopping it. Yeah. Um, but those who immediately got involved in other campaigns, who either went up to Standing Rock to protest, or started getting involved in electoral campaigns, or started getting involved at their local community level in something, um, those people 
weathered it a lot better. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something that... I don't know how to describe it exactly, but if you feel like you are making a difference, however small, um, it's it helps mitigate this incredible stress that we're all under. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've found that, you know, what I'm doing is pretty dangerous, and it becomes... I mean, what is that? There's like an awesome Audre Lorde quote. quote. I don't remember it. <laughs> um... <laughs> that I'm, I'm pretty, I'm happy. Yes. You know what I mean? And, like, a lot of people that I organize with and all these revolutionary spaces that are, like, even when it's under, under, it's dangerous, people are really, like, happy to be there. And we have a good time. You know, like, we have a really, we have a good time doing organizing, you know? So, like, that is a really interesting dynamic that feels flipped from, I think, what the general narrative Mm -hmm. is about being involved in, like, revolutionary politics. Yes. And, like, revolutionary acts is like, well, it looks even worse and scary and terrible. It's like, it's actually your life gets better. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I noticed that with the Bernie campaign, too. You know, like, uh, so many people um, came together and they didn't know what to do, and then it created, you know, the Bernie family or whatever. And then people people having a way to feel like they have some control over their lives and when it's the the world feels so scary. Absolutely. Yeah. And I still hear people describe it that way. I mean, coming together for a cause um, really does connect you with people who are like-minded. And it's amazing how many commonalities you find with them. People still refer to each other as, oh, it's my Bernie family. And (laughs) (laughs) we did become this uh, massive extended family, which is really Mm -hmm. amazing. I I know a lot of people, especially in situations similar to mine, where they live in more conservative rural areas, um, were able to connect with people in a way that no other social activity could really provide, because so many other social activities are very superficial. Whereas this, you get down to the core of what you believe right from the start. And um, it made for really amazing connections. It does. It does. Working on projects together is really bonding. Yeah. Revolution. Bringing people together. Yay! (laughs) It's true. It's true. My life feels a lot more fulfilled being around revolutionaries all the time than it did before. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of the problem uh, in this country in general is that people feel so isolated. Um, there's that rugged individualism that's always been praised in America, but what it ends up doing really is people feel like anything that goes wrong is their fault, even when it's baked into the society. (laughs) And so they, they tend to, um, blame themselves. They tend to self-isolate. And so as soon as you tell them, Hey, no, it's, it's not your fault that you're you know, bankrupt. It's the fault that we don't have a good healthcare system that can, you know, everyone can afford. Or it's the fault that, you know, you can't afford college education. You yeah. know, it, whatever it might be. And then they can find out that they can do something about it and not everything that's going wrong in their lives is something that's out of their hands because they're just, I don't know, a failure or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it gives people uh, new hope, but then it also connects them, which is really amazing to watch. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. Um, well, 
It has been an hour. Yay! Yay! It's been great talking with you. <laughs> it's been it's amazing how fast that goes by. <laughs> I know, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you're here. And uh, let's go get a beers. All right, sounds okay. good. All right. And this is Catherine. You've been listening to Friendly Anarchism with Chandra. Thank you so much. And uh, viva la revolution.